Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts today, and we will take a look at Acts chapter 21, verses 15 through 32. In our last teaching, Paul and his companions were in the house of Philip the evangelist in Caesarea for a few days. And while he was there, the prophet Agabus came to him and informed him all that from this point forward Paul was going to encounter, that he was going to encounter great suffering. Let me read that passage for you. It's Acts 21, verse 11. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. However, although this had been the third time that we know of that Paul was informed publicly that he was going to be arrested and put in chains when he reached Jerusalem, Paul still chose to continue on because he had a twofold goal. The first is, that he had an offering from the Gentile churches that he had collected for the church in Jerusalem because they were undergoing severe persecution and hunger due to an ongoing famine. But he also was hoping to speak to the Jews about Jesus, that they might believe and accept Jesus as their Messiah, Lord, and Savior. So Paul and his companions packed up their bags and began the final portion of their journey to Jerusalem. Let's turn to our Bibles now and, and read that account. Acts chapter 21, beginning with verse 15. And after those days we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manassan of Cyprus, an earlier disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed And they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you, that that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that these things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. 
This was quite a group that had joined Paul on this final phase of his journey. He had his usual traveling companions, and in chapter 20 we read of Sopater, who may have only traveled as far as Asia, Aristarchus, Sagundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, Trophimus, and Luke. Also joining them were many members of the church in Caesarea. It was 65 miles from Caesarea to Jerusalem, and it would have taken them about mm, three days by foot. When they reached Jerusalem, they stayed in the home of Manasseh of Cyprus, who is described as one of the early disciples. In other words, Manasseh had become a follower of Jesus in the early days of the Christian church. Perhaps he had heard about Jesus from Peter's teaching, and he may even have been a believer at the time that Stephen was martyred for his faith before Paul's conversion. The next day, Paul went to see James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, and he still held the leadership position over the Jerusalem council. Paul shared with James and all the elders of the Jerusalem church all that God had been doing among the Gentiles. Wouldn't you have loved to have sat in on that meeting to hear all about all of the exciting events and miraculous conversions that had happened over the past few years? I'm sure it took quite a bit of time to make that report because verse 29 says that Paul's account was in detail. And their response to this wonderful report was to praise God and to give him glory. But then James began to share with him a great concern that he had. Now, remember, James was the senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which was primarily composed of Jews who had become followers of Jesus Christ. These Jews are described as being very zealous for the law, and this would mean that they continued to hold to the strict code spelled out in the Law of Moses. In other words, they were legalists. They had heard that Paul was teaching all of the Jews who happened to be members of the Gentile churches that Paul ministered to, that they were to forsake the teaching of Moses, the law, and specifically the issue at hand was, was the practice of circumcision, as well as keeping the, the law itself. This report was not true for the Jews, but it was true for the Gentiles. Let me explain. For the Jew, circumcision was the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham and all his descendants, as it is written in Genesis chapter 17. And let me read a few verses from that, beginning with verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations 
for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or brought bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. This is a physical sign that shows the Jews' covenant relationship with God. And this was specific to the descendants of Abraham. But the Gentiles were different by birth. However, God is the same. And he has made a new covenant with his people. And this was through the blood of Jesus. You will remember at the Last Supper the words that Jesus said as he handed out the bread and cup of wine. He said, This is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. And now, through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, we have entered into a covenant relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But when Paul wrote his epistle to the church in Rome a few years earlier, he brought a teaching about circumcision, stating that it was the consecration of the heart and not the cutting off of the flesh that God was looking for. In Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, it says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And this teaching that Paul brought to the Gentile believers was actually consistent with the law of Moses. We can read in the book of Deuteronomy, which was the fifth book in the law of Moses, the following instruction, chapter 10, verses 12 through 16. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today, for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth and all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. 
I find it very interesting that this charge that the Jews had brought against Paul was the same charge that the Jews had accused Jesus and Stephen of 20 years earlier. But on that day, James was very concerned and wanted to avoid any kind of confrontation or division within the body of Christ. So he had a plan, and he presented his request to Paul. There were four members of the church who wanted to make a Nazarite vow for a certain period of time. James suggested that Paul take these four men to the temple to begin that process, and, and then Paul would pay for their offering, which would have been a considerable amount of money. In this way, it was hoped that by Paul participating in this Jewish ceremony, that it would show and convince his accusers that he was still, that he still honored the law, while at the same time being a follower of Jesus Christ, being a preacher of salvation by grace alone through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It is to Paul's credit that he agreed to this plan without hesitation. In his acquiescence, I see him living out what he had written to the church in Corinth. Listen to what he wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. So, in Paul's willingness to do this, I see Paul's desire to do whatever it takes to reach the lost and also to restore unity within the body of Christ. This request did not change the doctrine of salvation, and therefore he could afford to be flexible on this, in this regard. One commentator made the following observation. The rumors about Paul, of course, were not true. But Paul willingly submitted to this Jewish custom to show that he was not working against the council's decision and that he was still Jewish in his lifestyle. Sometimes believers must submit to authorities to avoid offending others, especially when such offense would hinder God's work. Dr. John Stott adds this. Paul agreed with James' proposal and began as soon as possible to comply with it. We can only thank God for the generosity of spirit displayed by both James and Paul. They were already agreed doctrinally that salvation was by grace and Christ through faith, and ethically that Christians must obey the moral law. The issue between them concerned culture, ceremony, 
and tradition. The solution to which they came was not a compromise in the sense of sacrificing a doctrinal or moral principle, but a concession in the area of practice. James was also careful to tell Paul that what he instructed any Gentiles who came into their church fellowship. It was the same instruction that the Jerusalem Council had agreed upon 20 years earlier, that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Now let us continue with Acts 21. Be picking up with verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, in this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. In this passage, the reference to being purified as the men entered the temple is because it was a well-known fact that Paul had been among Gentiles for the past few years. And, and for a Jew, that meant that he needed to go through a ceremonial cleansing before he was deemed worthy to enter the temple area. This process would take seven days, at the end of which the men could make their vow and the offering for each one of them individually would be presented. However, the Bible tells us that before the seven days were completed, Jews from Asia came, and seeing Paul, they stirred up the people to violence by falsely accusing Paul. Their accusation was severe and completely untrue. Again, let me read that, Acts 21, 28. Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. First, Paul did not teach all men against the law and the temple, as we previously discussed. In fact, Paul, whenever he preached about Jesus Christ, well, he would quote Old Testament scriptures to support the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, the promised Messiah, and the fulfillment of the law. Also, he was not guilty at all of the charge that he brought a Gentile into the temple. 
This would have been a very severe violation of temple law and etiquette. Again, we turn to Dr. Stott to provide us with some background regarding this. Gentiles were permitted to enter only the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. Beyond this and preventing access into the court of Israel, there was a stone wall for a partition, four and a half feet high, with an inscription which forbade any foreigner to go in under pain of death. This was Josephus's description, and, and he added that there were many other such inscriptions written in Greek and in Latin at equal distance from each other. And I quote, No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. End quote. Clearly, this had been true, it would have been a great insult to all the Jews who gathered at the temple, especially during the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. But it was not true. They'd only assumed that Paul had brought Trophimus from Ephesus into the temple because these Jews from Asia, and they were most probably from Ephesus, and, and knew him when they saw him. Yeah. They saw him walking around the streets of Jerusalem. Do you remember Paul's experience in Ephesus? For three years, he worked as a tent maker while he served as an evangelist and then as a pastor and teacher to the growing church of new believers in Jesus Christ. But after three years of faithful service to the Lord, the Jews rose up against him and after another incident of mob rule where his traveling companions Gaius and Aristarchus were seized, it was decided that Paul had to flee from the city for his own safety. Sadly, this was a continuing pattern throughout the years of his ministry. But Paul never let this deter him from the calling of God on his life to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone who would listen. But even though Paul was innocent of these charges, the crowd was stirred up to violence. As verse 30 tells us, they seized Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, they were beating him with a burning desire to kill him. What is so sad is that when they dragged Paul out of the temple, the Bible says that they shut the door to the temple. They shut the door to the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had made a terrible decision in the fire of their fury. I'm reminded of the letters that were written to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Each church represents a progressive time in church history. The first letter was to the church in Ephesus. Jesus is described as being in the midst of the churches. And there he remained until the letter to the church of Laodicea, the last church before the great tribulation period. In that letter, we see Jesus no longer in the midst of the church. Instead, we see him standing outside, knocking on the door, asking to be let in. The door is locked against him, against the Savior. 
but still he desires to be let in. And what he said is so full of love and grace. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20 This is what Jesus is saying to the church. And this is what he is saying to all those today who have closed their heart's door to Jesus. Maybe that is you. Maybe that is someone you know. Do you hear his voice of love and grace? His promise is that if you will simply open the door of your heart, your life to him, Jesus will come into your life and fellowship with you and love you. All will be forgiven if you simply ask. And he will continue to knock as long as it takes. But why not open your heart to him today, right now? Why would you want to wait? The invitation is sincere and powerful. How great is the love of God our Savior that even a closed door will not stop. It will not stop his desire to make you his own dear child. Well, we have run out of time for today, but as we have already read, we know that the situation will quickly turn even more violent and Paul's life will be altered considerably. Dr. John Stott makes an astute observation. He writes, When Paul arrived in Jerusalem, his own career abruptly changed. He was assaulted, arrested, bound, and brought to trial. He found himself on the defensive. Following his three epic missionary journeys, Luke describes the five trials he had to endure. The first was before a Jewish crowd at the northeast corner of the temple area. The second before the Supreme Jewish Council in Jerusalem. And the third and fourth in Caesarea before Felix and Festus, who succeeded one another as the procurator of Judea and the fifth also in Caesarea before King Herod Agrippa. The rest of the book of Acts will cover these arrests. And as we study the next few verses, we will have the opportunity to observe how to respond in the day of persecution to the glory of God. So we will pick up our account of Paul's experiences in Jerusalem in our next session. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we again are so thankful for the life of your servant Paul who who was so faithful in his service before you. He, he truly did not let anything stop him from talking about Jesus. And I would pray, Lord, that we would have that same heart, that we would be willing to, to share, that we would be bold, that we would, that we would not take offense when others take offense against us, but rather, Lord, that we might respond with your love and grace and with the testimony of Jesus who hung on the cross for our sins, 
who died and who rose from the grave and is exalted on high. May we be willing to share with them that life-changing message that has transformed our life, for which we are grateful and thankful. So Lord, continue to reveal yourself to us and continue to teach us from your word and strengthen our faith so that we might live faithfully before you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you are finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. That's BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. So, my friend, I want to leave you with a word of encouragement. So let me read to you a prayer that the Apostle Paul wrote while in prison in chains in Rome, which is also my prayer for you. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 8. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this is, this and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen.